to Between the Worlds. I'm your host, Amanda Yates Garcia. This season, we focus on the suit of pentacles, all about abundance, the earth, eroticism, and the underworld. Stay tuned and learn how to re-enchant your world with tarot, magic, and more. When the Seven of Pentacles comes up in a reading, the first thing I think is that we're worried about all the ways we might fail. But the Seven of Pentacles also offers us an opportunity to turn failure into an act of rebellion and pleasure. Stay tuned to find out how. Listeners, guess what? It's almost time for another Between the Worlds workshop. And this time it's on the delicious Pentacles season theme of abundance. We live on an abundant planet. We live in an abundant universe. But remembering that can be a challenge in a culture that's modeled on scarcity. Even if we're managing to make ends meet financially, if we're tired, stressed, creatively depleted, or if we're uncertain about the future or where our resources are coming from, we just don't feel abundant, no matter how much we might tell ourselves to feel grateful. But true abundance includes rest, it includes love, it includes nourishment, inspiration, security, pleasure. In the natural world, Abundance comes through the flow of energy through the biosphere into our bodies and back into the world again. Abundance is flow. While taking this workshop will not instantly place a million dollars in your bank account, it will lay the groundwork for a new and nourishing relationship to abundance in your life. Exploring pentacles this season has done so much to draw more abundance into my life, and Carolyn has been raving about the same thing, and we can't wait to share all that we've learned behind the scenes with you. If you join our workshop, together we'll solve some abundance riddles related to work-life balance, feelings of enoughness, increasing our capacity to share and to thrive, accessing flow and pleasure, confronting our fear of scarcity, trusting that we can be in abundance, and allowing abundance to flow through and between us. And listen, this is not a money mindset workshop. We are not here to spiritually bypass and pretend that all we have to do to be wealthy is have a positive attitude. That is not the Between the Worlds brand. Instead, in this workshop, we'll be establishing a new relationship to abundance inspired by the natural systems of the earth and the wisdom tradition of the tarot. We hope you can join us. This Ace of Pentacles live call workshop happens on October 3rd at 11 a.m. PST, but if you can't be there for the live call, you'll get a download later on. And the workshop itself is currently on sale for $66, but... The price goes up 20% on September 6th, so you'll probably want to grab your spot right now. And remember, subscribers to our coven at the Jupiter level get this workshop and all future workshops with the cost of membership. So join us. Links in the show notes. Hey, it's your host, Amanda Yates Garcia here. And so... 
I'm looking at the Seven of Pentacles, and what I see is a farmer dressed in peasant clothes, hunched over a garden hoe, staring at a trembling plant, which is holding seven gold coins, heavy as melons. Behind the farmer is a barren, dry field, rocky mountains, and a pale gray sky. And while the plant with its coin fruit is verdant and it's full, the farmer is staring at it looking disappointed, exhausted, and maybe even a little doomed. So what is really going on in this picture? And why is it relevant to your life? Well, so in the Thoth deck, the Seven of Pentacles is called Failure. And this card is actually one of the reasons why I hardly ever use the Thoth deck with my clients, even though I truly do love it. It's so beautiful. But it's just so upsetting to see the word failure appear in a reading, even if, as we shall discuss, it's kind of a good thing, actually. When I look at this card, some of the qualities that it brings up for me are commitment, longing, a recognition that we're not in control of everything or anything really, and potentially a resistance to the status quo. And if we look at this card in the right light, the Seven of Pentacles is a subversive card. But as we know, subversion is scary and it has consequences. Resistance and rebellion often bring up fear. In the case of this card, the Seven of Pentacles, the fear is that we can show up, work on something, toil and hope and labor, and even after all of that, our efforts might come to nothing. Actually, I think this fear that we might work hard on something and just see it fizzle and fall flat is one of the most common and pernicious fears that my clients have, which causes them the most pain and the most confusion. And it's a fear that truly is paralyzing. So our fears in, in relation to failure might go a little something like this. What if I write a book and it doesn't get published? or it gets published and no one buys it? What if I start a business and it fails? What if I try to get pregnant and I can't and I never get over it and my relationship breaks up? What if I invest a lot of time and energy and vulnerability into a new relationship and then we break up and my heart is broken? What if I work really hard with an environmental organization for a year to save the arroyo trout and PG&E builds an ugly life-killing dam and all the trout die after all that work. And what makes these fears especially dangerous is that they can often leave it so that we can't commit to anything, right? We're so afraid of failure that we constantly flit from thing to thing and never allow ourselves to go deeply enough into something creatively, romantically, or professionally, that we even find out whether or not we, we will actually fail at it. 
And the fear of failure can lead us to this niggling sense that we've chosen the wrong path. And because we're afraid we've chosen the wrong path, we can't commit to any path long enough to see if, you know, if we put in that little extra bit of passion, maybe it might become the right path. And the thing is, the fears that I was talking about, and many more, (laughs) are not unfounded. You know, all of these things can and do happen. Sometimes when we have fears, they're there because we've had the exact same thing happen to us so many times. But consider this. Maybe the farmer in the Seven of Pentacles is failing because the field itself is depleted. Maybe there's a drought or the water they're irrigating with is polluted with chemicals from a mine upriver. Maybe the answer to failure for this farmer is not to work a little harder or take some time out to examine how they could improve, but maybe the answer is to let the field lie fallow, to set off on an adventure, to wander, to permaculture, to forming a collective. Maybe the answer is rebellion against the Lord who enclosed their farm in the first place. How about that? Dear listener, if you are feeling like a failure these days, or a failure is even just the littlest butterfly flitting through your yard, if you're struggling to be rigorous or to do it, whatever it is, right, or if you're struggling to follow through with something, this episode is offered as a gift to you, as a little dose of medicine to help you remember just how thrilling failure can be. So what if when this card comes up in a reading, you're being encouraged to wander, to flaneur, to go the wrong way, to dawdle, to take a flight of fancy or be unruly, to be wild, to be feral, to do it wrong? Because doing it right, winning, being a success, truly can mean that we are capitulating at least on some level, to the imperatives of the status quo. In other words, we're doing what our bosses, quote-unquote, want us to do. Think about it. Success in a heteronormative capitalist society such as ours often equals having children in a very specific way, like 2.5 kids, white picket fence, and also accumulating wealth and prestige. This is how we do it. We know what success looks like. But with the collapse of financial markets and social safety nets, and now the entire biosphere, don't you think it might be time to question these notions of success? The ones that we then internalize and impose upon ourselves? In the brilliant book, The Queer Art of Failure, rogue academic Jack Halberstam argues that Under certain circumstances, failing, losing, forgetting, unmaking, undoing, unbecoming, not knowing, may in fact offer more creative, more cooperative, more surprising ways of being in the world. Failure can stand in contrast to the actually grim scenarios of success that depend on 
trying again and trying again. And if you don't succeed, try and try and try again. In fact, if success requires so much effort, then Halberstam says maybe failure is easier in the long run and offers different and better rewards. Failure, in fact, can offer us an opportunity to preserve some of the anarchy and freedom and enchantment that we had as our birthright in childhood. In this episode, I am going to be talking a lot about Jack Halberstam's book, The Queer Art of Failure, because I think it's just so relevant, really, to getting the magic of this card. I also want to note that the title to this episode, Practice More Failure, is the title of a performance by lesbian performance troupe LTTR, which is quoted in Halberstam's book. Anyway, one subject that comes up a lot in spiritual circles now is spiritual bypassing. It's a cult of positivity that holds positive thinking as like one of the spiritual Ten Commandments. But Halberstam reminds us of how Barbara Ehrenreich, in her book, Bright-Sided, says that positive thinking is a North American affliction, a mass delusion that emerges out of a combination of American exceptionalism and a desire to believe that success happens to good people and failure is just a consequence of bad attitude rather than structural conditions. Of course, Believing our success is contingent on our attitude is much easier than recognizing that success is really the outcome of tilted scales of race and class and gender. And I'm talking about this right now with you here, dear listener, because it's what the card is about. (laughs) This idea of success and failure is literally what this card is about, especially in relation to you know, wealth and abundance, but many other things as well. And if the seven of pentacles is coming up in your reading, now is the time to consider the conditions that you're working under. We could easily imagine another seven card, the seven of cups, being about mass delusion, as uh, Ehrenreich was talking about, this cult of positivity. But what if the seven of pentacles is about waking up from that delusion and seeing what is really there? Now, you remember the seven of cups is like a person looking at at all these cups and they have all these treasures and they have all these uh, scary things and they're kind of dazzled by them. But what if the seven of pentacles, the card that we're talking about today, is telling us it's time to wake up and see what is really present? I love how Halberstam reminds us that, for instance, from the perspective of feminism, failure has often been better than success. If feminine success is always measured by male standards and gender failure means being relieved of the pressure to measure up to those patriarchal ideals, not succeeding at womanhood can offer an unexpected pleasure. It's a good reminder. Like, what if your worthiness of love and security in the world wasn't contingent on how you look in a bikini? (laughs) What if the standards by which you're judging your success or failure, for instance, the success or failure of your body, which is definitely a pentacles-oriented thing, what if those very standards are the thing that needs changing, not you, not your body? Halverson goes on to argue that the most acceptable forms of feminism are the ones 
that are oriented towards positivity, reform, and accommodation. Of course, that begs the question, acceptable to whom? And, and these forms of feminism have long been haunted by shadow feminisms, which take the form of not becoming, being, or doing, but of shady, murky tones of undoing, unbecoming, and violating. And shadow feminism reminds me a lot of the goddess Hecate. And the goddess Hecate, in my mind, corresponds to the planet Saturn, who rules this card. And we'll be discussing that in a, in a minute. But listen, I get that all of this failure talk is scary. I mean, failure is scary in our culture because there's no bottom to how far we can fall. If we don't capitulate to the demands of patriarchy, of capitalism, of the state, there is a real cost to that. And we know that. And that's why we're afraid of failure. But I think that this card is a reminder that there is also a cost to capitulation. In The Queer Art of Failure, Halberstam quotes James C. Scott's book, Seeing Like a State. State meaning, you know, the major industrialized governments of the world. And for Scott, to see like a state means to accept the order of things and then to internalize that order. It means that if we see like a state, we begin to think with the logic of superiority, hierarchy, orderliness, and that we erase, or in fact, we sacrifice other forms of knowledge, local knowledges, personal knowledges, intuitive knowledges, and we sacrifice practices and actions that might be less efficient and maybe less marketable, but also might be more sustainable and pleasurable. So this is something that's coming up in this card. You know, what are we sacrificing in order to achieve this success that we've been, that's been drilled into us that we need to achieve? So, you know, one of the costs of seeing like a state is that we internalize notions of failure. We come to believe that it really is better to look a certain way in a bikini to have a certain kind of job, to win approval and gold stars from social media companies. And we sacrifice what is wild and unruly in us and what is wild and unruly in the world. And Albertson argues that if we begin a project, whatever project we begin with the Ace of Pentacles, with a goal, with an object of research and a set of presumptions, then we're already stymieing the process of discovery because that goal, that vision, blocks our ability to learn something that actually exceeds the framework of the vision, maybe something that goes beyond it, that exists outside of it, that's unruly and wild. What if that's the same for you? (laughs) What if that's the same for you when this card comes up? What if you are being called to let go of your goal the goal of forcing something to conform to your vision. And instead, you are being called to enter into a dialogue with that longing that started you on this pursuit in the first place. So let's go back to our farmer looking miserably at their money bush and ask ourselves, has this farmer been trying to dominate or master this field, this plant? What would happen if instead they entered into dialogue with it? What if each day that they entered the field, they entered curious? 
open to relationship with the earth, the plants, the sky. Let's imagine the seven of pentacles from a different perspective than the one we see in the Rider Waite Coleman Smith version. Instead of seeing ourselves as the farmer looking with anxiety at the unruly bush of pentacles, let's imagine instead that we are the tired earth beneath the farmer's feet. Imagine we are the big, verdant plant itself, wondering what the farmer's intentions are. Imagine we're a bee or a spider hiding in the cool beneath the leaves that might soon be cut back or sprayed with pesticide. Imagine we're the sky looking down on this whole scene, bright and dry and clear. Or imagine we are the aquifer, deep beneath the earth, poisoned by the roundup bleeding into the soil. And now imagine dialogue between these these personages, these beings in the card. This dialogue is what failure can bring. It's what it offers us. It's what if failure is an act of resistance to the singular controlling point of view that has dominated culture for the past 2,000 years? What if the Seven of Pentacles is calling you towards becoming a revolutionary a lover, a communicator in solidarity with all beings. Because all this time over the past 2,000 or more years of conquest, there have been so many beautiful failures who have been resisting, provoking, refusing to shrink themselves into the model of perfection imposed on them by the Lord that is the landlords or the warlords or all of those who benefit from our compliance to their vision. I was really inspired by Halberstrom when they said, I believe in the small, the inconsequential, the anti-monumental, the micro, the irrelevant. I believe in making a difference by thinking little thoughts and sharing them widely I seek to provoke, annoy, bother, irritate, and amuse. I'm chasing small projects, micropolitics, hunches, whims, and fancies. If the Seven of Pentacles comes up in a reading for you, maybe try, just as a little thought experiment, asking yourself, what would failing spectacularly at whatever I'm doing look like? What would dialogue with the other failures here look like? And if you felt a little thrill of excitement when I said that, that should tell you that practicing a little more failure might be fun for you to try. So let's talk about the symbolism in the card. Like I said, this card corresponds or is ruled by Saturn, but in in fact, it's Saturn in Taurus. I think the main reason the Seven of Pentacles has the tone that it does is because of this correspondence. Saturn is death, infertility, decrepitude, endings. And Taurus is the green field. It's the green earth. It's abundance. And I feel like Saturn in Taurus is like Maleficent showing up at Princess Aurora's birthday party saying, I too have a gift for the princess. 
I mean, that's that's the nature of this card. <laughs> it's like Maleficent has shown up. I mean, the previous card in the suit, the Six of Pentacles, is called Success. Your cup runneth over and you have enough to share. And now here in the Seven of Pentacles, it's like splat. Here we are, worried again. It's so familiar to us. But throughout the Suit of Pentacles, we keep wrestling with this idea, right? Abundance and then famine. Blossoming and then rotting. Taurus is the earth and the spirit of growth, growth, and Saturn is boundaries. Growth doesn't last forever. As Greta Thunberg says, the idea of perpetual growth is a capitalist fantasy, and really the desire for perpetual growth is fascist. We want to win forever, and that is not possible. Or the cost of winning forever is literally all life on Earth. But I also love the idea of Saturnalia here. So Saturnalia was the winter festival of the pagans, celebrating the harvest deity Saturn, which was eventually corrupted by the Christians into Christmas. And for the week of Saturnalia, the entire social order order was overturned. It was a festival of liberation. Bonds were freed and the whole mob let itself go to pleasures, according to Seneca. So Saturn the god during Saturnalia says, During my week, the serious is barred, no business allowed. Basically, it was all frolicking, upside downery, singing naked, but only for that one week. And then it was like back to normal. But for me, this idea of Saturnalia gets at something important, which is that the dominant power structure, even in Roman times, thrives on winners, losers, hard workers, and the concept of failure. But if the object is pleasure, if the object is presence, then failure becomes irrelevant. So Saturn in Taurus might be saying, you know, where is the pleasure here? Can we return to that? Numerologically, this card is a seven. Seven is about initiation. Remember that the seven represents uh, an ordeal of some kind. But initiations aren't just shitty things that happen to you. Initiations are trials that we go through that, upon completion, give us greater understanding of our role in the world, greater wisdom on how to fulfill that role, and greater skill in being able to do the work we're here to do in service of our community. So the trial in the Seven of Pentacles is about effort. We have to pass through the flames of wasted effort. We have to navigate through the treacherous winds that rage beyond our control. We could be the best captains in the world, but our ships still might crash on the rocks because capitalism requires a certain number of ships to crash. It just does. But the secret of the Seven of Pentacles, the initiation it's asking for, is that failure is part of the process. Failure is a gate that we have to cross to receive this initiation. Also want to remind you that the number seven corresponds to the chariot in the major arcana. And the major arcana are the 22 archetypal cards that make a tarot deck a tarot deck rather than just a deck of playing cards. The chariot is a warrior, an athlete, a vehicle of transformation. And it's a card that's very much about cultivating a practice or a discipline. 
And as any artist or athlete will tell you, you can't have a practice without being able to tolerate and move through failure. If you sit down at the piano and you can't play the Goldberg variations on the very first try or even the thousandth try and you give up, like you're not going to play the Goldberg variations ever. However, I actually think of the Seven of Pentacles as the anti-chariot card. Because maybe you don't want to play the Goldberg Variations, which is like a very famous piece of classical music by Johann Sebastian Bach. I'm actually thinking about the band Psychic TV. Do you know them? With Genesis Breyer Peorich. And how they started this band, if I'm remembering correctly, they saw like a, an advertisement in the back of a music magazine that said something like, if you can learn these three basic chords, you can learn how to play or like you can be a musician. And they were like, that's such a gatekeeping statement. We're going to be a band and we're going to be be musicians and we're not even going to know those chords. (laughs) And so they took off and they're so great. And I love that band. The question is, what is all of our failure opening ourselves up to? Halverson says, for instance, on on the subject of discipline and the chariot, for some kooky minds, discipline actually gets in the way of answers and theorems precisely because discipline offers maps of thought where intuition and blind fumbling might give us better results. Now, I'm not saying that you'll have an easier life and make a million dollars if you issue discipline and the canon, but I do think that failure can be interesting. And it can even be more interesting and pleasurable than just reinforcing the canon or trying to fit yourself into it in some way. So when the Seven of Pentacles comes up in a reading, should you be afraid? Should you just assume all my efforts are going to come to nothing? Actually, I don't think so. I think this card is really more about looking at your attitude to the current situation than it is about a prophecy about what's going to happen. In other words, this card is bringing up our fears, our impatience, our burning desire to see things go a certain way. And in fact, those fears might really be the things that are standing in the way of your engaging in the true harvest which is maybe about something a little bit more playful. I actually think when this card comes up in a reading, it's usually telling us that our ventures will be successful, but that we need to tend to them with care. We need to dialogue with them. We need to participate. We need to be in relationship rather than focusing on the outcome or like dominating the situation. So when this card comes up in a reading, it's saying stay with the trouble. Stay with the work. See if you can enjoy the process and find pleasure in it. And if you're worried that you're failing, ask yourself these following questions, which I'm going to put in the show notes. By whose standards am I failing? Who benefits from my believing myself a failure? Who benefits if I love myself even more in all my failure? Like truly, which groups of people or beings benefit from your resistance to imposed notions of success because they're out there. How can you throw your failure back in the face of the status quo or whoever it is that says you're failing? Like, fuck them in other words. Finally, ask yourself, how can I open up a dialogue here instead of 
working in domination model. So in closing, before I introduce you to our glorious guest, Pacha Flora is going to talk to us about the way that this card relates to plants and gardening. I want to read you a poem brought to you, brought to my attention by one of my favorite beings and a former guest of the podcast, Sarah Potter. So this poem by Marge Piercy, whom I adore, is actually titled The Seven of Pentacles. And I find it I find it really moving because I feel like she helps us. She restores the beauty in life, in failure, in love. And I feel like it's it's a very generous poem. In any case, as I read it, listen for how Piercy solves the riddle of this card. Failure exists. What wisdom does this poem offer us in that regard? What oracle is this poem giving you? for your current situation. Here it goes. The Seven of Pentacles by Marge Piercy. Under a sky the color of pea soup, she is looking at her work growing away there, actively, thickly, like grapevines or pole beans, as things grow in the real world, slowly enough. If you tend them properly, If you mulch, if you water, if you provide birds that eat insects, a home, and winter food, if the sun shines and you pick off caterpillars, if the praying mantis comes and the ladybugs and the bees, then the plants flourish, but at their own internal clock. Connections are made slowly, Sometimes they grow underground. You can't tell always by looking what is happening. More than half the tree is spread out in the soil under your feet. Penetrate quietly as the earthworm that blows no trumpet. Fight persistently as the creeper that brings down the tree. Spread like the squash plant that overruns the garden. Gnaw in the dark and use the sun to make sugar. Weave real connections. Create real nodes. Build real houses. Live a life you can endure. Make love that is loving Keep tangling and interweaving and taking more in a thicket and bramble wilderness to the outside, but to us, interconnected with rabbit runs and burrows and lairs. Live as if you liked yourself, and it may happen. Reach out. Keep reaching out. Keep bringing in. This is how we're going to live for a long time. Not always. For every gardener knows that after the digging, after the planting, after the long season of tending and growth, the harvest comes. Something
Our guest this week is queer artist, herbalist, and plant lover, Flora Podcha, previously known as La Loba Loca, host of the Wild Weeds podcast, teacher of feminist broharia workshops, keeper of pigs, and tender of lands. We cannot wait to introduce you. Let's go find them. Lova, I am so excited to have you on the show. Um, you and I go way back. We we were in that uh, LA Times article together, and I think that's where we found out even about your work. And I thought it was so exciting, exhilarating. I had to follow you. Uh, that was a few years ago now, I think. So uh, thank you so much for being with us. I'm so excited to have you here. Thank you. I'm so excited. And I really am looking forward to talking about this. And I really like that card. I've been getting more into like card reading lately. So I'm like, oh, I'm so happy that I got that card, that I got a pentacles. <laughs> oh, yeah. The <laughs> pentacles are so appropriate for you and your work. Okay, well, so can you just tell us First, a little bit about your background and how you came to be doing the work that you're doing and, and even what kind of work you're doing for those folks out there who might not know. Yes. So I started about 10 years ago with a project called La Loba Loca. And at the beginning, it was I was doing like tattooing and I was doing uh, some other work around like reproductive justice, um, specifically on like abortion access. Um, and then it kind of started getting more into plans and Kind of the plant, uh, the connection between plants and herbal medicine and reproductive justice, but also like reclamation of uh, like ancestral knowledge. So I named it Abuelita Knowledge. Um, I'm from Peru. So a part of kind of like the beginning of, you know, doing that work was reconnecting to my own ancestral lineage and doing a lot of a question, question, you know, just asking lots of questions to my family, to my grandmas, to my aunties. Um, and it first started with, um, abortion and menstruation and like I was really into menstrual education and, and abortion access and uh, and then I was a midwife student for a bit and <laughs> a full spectrum doula uh, but then I started to realize that at least for my family uh, whenever I asked about you know menstruation or, or abortion a lot of it had to do with plants um, and then I kind of like understood that like my family has a huge history with land connections like all my grandmas grow plants and medicine they all seed save um and then little by little I I started to understand that like a lot of like my family lineage goes back to very much like agricultural based living uh and then now I you know everything makes sense because a lot of you know Andean traditions including Andean ceremonies and the way that Andean cosmology looks at time has a lot to do with growing and with plants. So it's very much based on like agricultural agricultural calendars, for example. So then now it makes sense, you know, it's just like people have been growing and people have been understanding like their relationship and, and their lives in connection to growing plants, right? So there's this like very deep connection between time and space and, you know, the way that plants grow when you plant things, when you give offerings uh, for the land that you're working with, right? So and now kind of like the work that I'm doing is mostly focusing on uh, queer farming, super into mushrooms. Uh, I moved here to so-called New Mexico with my partner, The Divine Shift, and Instagram, also known as 
Nico Cariño Tiara, they have three names. And we both started, <laughs> we both started uh, this queer lamb project here um, called Bloom and Change. Uh, so a lot of my time lately has been focusing on growing plants and medicine at a bigger scale. And, you know, we have pigs and my partner is really into composting. And I think that, you know, more and more I'm focused more and more in like growing plants and 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 talking about it and blogging about it and, and sharing about that. Um, I'm also an herbalist and... I think I said everything I do. <laughs> yeah, you do so much. But so much of what you do, like following you on Instagram, it it's just inspiring to see the way that you work with the land and relate to it and the way that it it, it seems to feed into your relationships with other people and your quote unquote political philosophy. I think it's more than that. It feels like spiritual as well and um, ancestral, as you were saying. So it seems like a lot of the time in capitalism, we really want to be like, okay, so what are you doing? What is your product? But it's not, it doesn't really seem to be about a product as much as it is about a, a total way of like a worldview almost with mm-hmm. your work. Yeah, I mean, I've had a hard time kind of figuring out what my product is, right? Because I think that, you know, for those of us that are self-employed, we have to identify what the product is, like how we sell it, right? <laughs> how we make yeah. money out of it, uh, which is hard because it's like, I don't, you know, even, yeah, even when it comes to making medicine and herbal medicine, like I love doing it, but I just don't want to sell it anymore. You know, it's just so hard to like label it and even to put it in those tiny little, you know, like the glasses, the vials, like all the stuff that you have to buy. I'm like... I don't want to sell this. I don't want to keep creating more waste. But at the same time, it's a product, right? So it's it's hard. And I think for me, uh, like storytelling has been a big part of like how to share that. Um, so my Patreon and like the workshops that I do, I think it's kind of how I'm able to share that with the world. But yeah, it's kind of hard because it's not it's not just one product, right? It's kind of like the concept <laughs> or like the mm. idea of like plant connection and and greater than human connection. Yeah, like your relationship to the plants, your relationship to the land, your relationship to the other people that you're living and working with. Yeah, I mean, I feel like what you're saying really gets at the essence of the suit of pentacles because I feel like pen- the suit of pentacles is really asking us, like, well, how are you going to do this? Like, how are you going to find a way to live abundantly and have your needs met and be, you know, connected to source or resource while living under capitalism, which often pulls you into a direction that your spirit, that your your body doesn't want to go, like resist, doesn't like it, doesn't approve of it, doesn't want to participate. You know, if you're working with plants or you're working with herbs and it feels really sacred to you, and of course you're then going to want to, you know, because we have to have a profession, we have to have a job, we have to have a way of making money. So, of course, you'd want to make that the way that you resource yourself. On the other hand, then it turns it into this commodity that you don't want and you don't want to see it like that. And then there's all these chores that go along with that. We're going to take a deep dive into that because that's what this card is all about. So seven, so the seven of pentacles, as you probably know, is sevens are the number of initiation. So in an initiation, you pass through an ordeal 
you know, you have to walk over the coals or you get left in the woods overnight and have to find your way back or something like that. And on the other side of this initiation, you receive more power or you receive more wisdom or you receive more responsibility from the people of your, you know, your clan, so to speak. So I was wondering how your work with plants has initiated you like how has it given you more wisdom but also how has it been an ordeal like in what ways has it challenged you to work with plants I think that the first time that I saw a um a bean sprouting like my life changed like I remember I was living in LA and it was I was in a horrible situation like with my ex um and it was just like it was just such a horrible time in my life, but also such an awesome time in my life um, because I started gardening. Um, and I started gardening in this like, you know, super shitty, tiny little like backyard that was basically like people would just dump trash. Like there was um, a bunch of cat poop everywhere. Like it was, you know, clearly it wasn't an area that was taken care of. So I started, you know, wanting to figure out how to grow things there. And when the first time that I saw a bean sprouting, I was just like, oh my God, like my life changed. I I cried. I was just like crying because I'm like, this is so beautiful. Like I can't believe that this is so beautiful. So I think that for me, like it's been a journey towards understanding life and death in a more like it's such a deeper way um there's a lot of like letting go that has to happen when you have gardens when you have farms you can put in so much work into something and then the rats eat it you know (laughs) or the mice eat it or it rains so much that it's flooded and the corn falls to the ground or or so many things can happen or your mental health just hits like the worst time in your life and you're not able to water your plants right so i think there is a process of understanding life and death that I don't I don't think I had before I started working with plants. And I think just also trusting and like realizing that, you know, you can't control everything. It's been so huge uh, when it comes to working with plants. Just also understanding that, you know, like you can put so much work, but the plants are going to grow if they want to grow. And if they don't want to grow, they're not going to grow, right? So you can't force plants to grow for you. There's some people that, you know, talk about how plants that grow for you are the plants that are meant for you to work with or plants that Mm. just randomly come up in your garden or you see an abundance of plants growing around your house or your apartment. Like those are the plants that, you know, are calling you to work with them. So this idea of like, you know, plant and human conversations that we can have, I think that really shifted the way that I, that I saw the world. Just really understanding that there is so much different ways of communication um, that are like beyond just like the human communication, right? So I like to always talk about like greater than human connections or greater than human beings, right? So all of this uh, beings that we live with that are around us that are not human, right? That are equal to us or I I am um, you know I know that people sometimes are like you know we're all equal like plants and animals and human animals are all equal but I'm like you know what I think it's time for humans to maybe <laughs> drop in the hierarchy <laughs> yeah <laughs> you know <laughs> like after all of these years of like like western like colonized thinking you know of, of humanity at the top of the pinnacle of creation like for us to be like uh, actually we come way after plants like plants can do without us but we can't do without plans right so I think that just that that shift that it created in my life to rethink everything that I knew including the ways that I saw knowledge production 
Uh, was huge because I remember when I was growing up, like my grandmas, they've always grown plants. They've always saved seeds. Like they've always like done so much land work. Uh, and I always thought that it was like, oh, you know, there's just grandmas doing weird stuff, you know? <laughs> like yeah. what are these grandmas doing? You know, like, oh my God, like they waste their time growing their plants. Uh, and then when, you know, when it hit me, I was like, wow, like they've literally been doing what I should have been doing all my life, you know? But I was so... I was so divided from that and from that connection. And I talked so much shit to my grandmas for spending so much time looking for seeds and doing cuttings, you know. It took me till I was, I think, about like 19, 20 years old to like understand why it is that they were doing that. Like the importance of doing that. Yeah. Oh, all of that is so rich. It makes so much sense. Yesterday I was on a walk and I was thinking, I came across this this sapling, a sycamore sapling. And you know how the, when they're saplings, they have these very fuzzy leaves. And it just hit me so clearly, like plants love people, mm. like plants love life. And it it felt so heartbreaking to me to think that there's these beautiful beings that love life so much, that love us so much, and that do so much to help us and that we just treat them like shit. And it just really hit me in that moment. I could really feel it as a being. And also, though, you do bring up these amazing ideas about life and death. It sounds like your initiations were into the cycles of life, but also to being a knowledge holder for your your people and your ancestors, right, that you'd initially resisted that or not gotten why that was important. And through going through this really painful time in your life and seeing the miracle of life emerge from the earth, this earth that had been mistreated, neglected, you know, poisoned, parceled off, sold, bought, and then seeing still this life emerging, it sounds like that was like a real wake up call for you and helped you understand your role in life, like that we are not, we can nurture and we can care, but that we're not in control of everything. I really like using the term for, for plants and animals more than human, because I think of them as humans as just the bottom. <laughs> they're, <laughs> they're, I do believe that humans are here to like take care of the world, but right now we're really not getting that <laughs> task. <laughs> we're really lost. But you know, it's funny. I also like with my own gardening Sometimes I neglect my garden because I feel guilty to kill things. Like there'll be a plant that I don't is taking up a space that I maybe want to plant a new plant or do something else with, but I'll be like, well, it has a right to its life. And I feel like I don't want to just take that out. You know, do you ever feel that way? <laughs> yeah. I used to, I mean, all of my gardens, I feel like they always are. And I think it's going to be different here because where I live now, there's actual, you know, snow that will kill them regardless. But when I lived in so-called Los Angeles, I would have plants that I would not like my landlord would be like, you need to cut this uh, sunflower stalks. And I was like, no, I don't want to because they're creating habitat for the birds. <laughs> you know? Right. I feel that yeah. all the time. And the way that people think about gardens, even if you think about like gardens and what gardens are supposed to look like, there is a huge 
kind of like line of thinking that comes from like Victorian gardens and, you know, this idea of like everything looking green, every, you know, like the roses have to be lined up, you know, like if there's no road, like if there, if you see a little bit of dirt, it has to have grass on it. So even just the idea that people think about gardens, I think it's just so, it's so horrendous, right? Because like gardens are not supposed to look like they're manicured. Like gardens also need to have dead leaves all over it, you know, and like dead plants are going to become dirt or, you know, dead plants that maybe look that they're dead, but they're actually dormant and they're going to come back next season, right? So even just, um, yeah, like people's ideas of gardens is just infuriating, especially when like, you know, people in LA trying to have a huge green lawn and a couple of plants here and there, but it's like, it makes no sense because there's no water to keep up a green lawn, just plant native plants. I know, plants. and, it, and <laughs> what, are, what are the bees going to do? What are the birds going to do? What are the possums going to do? What are the skunks going to do? They don't care about your stupid lawn. Get that lawn out of the ground exactly. right now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, basically. Um, well, so, okay, well, so in the Seven of Pentacles, like just turning it back to the card a little bit, the farmer has worked hard tilling their field. You can tell they've been really working at it. And it is hard work. Like, you know, if you're going to be growing, I think even at your garden, if I remember correctly, the one that you had in so-called Los Angeles, that you had to like pull stones out of the ground and things like that. And now in this image in the seven of pentacles the farmers looking at their crops sweat on their brow blisters on their hands from the shovel and they're worried that their hard work won't be enough right they're worried there's going to be a blight there's going to be a frost there's going to be a drought and so the idea is like with farming a lot of things are out of our control and we can put in the work but like even I have this little um, I'm growing some plants from seed right now. And some of them grew and some of them didn't. And I'm like, what did I do? One of some of them are growing and that and I did the exact same thing with the other ones and they're not. So like, how do we deal with that? What what does that call up for you? Well, I think that especially now also with global warming, right? Like with climate chaos and and all of this going on, I feel like there is, at least, you know, I'm hoping that most people and I'm pretty sure most people that are listening to this, like, feel really horrible about the current, you know, the current climate crisis. I feel like there is this, like, communal grief happening around, like, you just see so much stuff being destroyed by things that could be avoided. Like, we could have avoided this if we had, even if we destroy capitalism today, like, all of this can stop right now, you know? Like, so... I think even when it comes to, you know, planting something, especially if you're renting and being like, wow, am I going to plant this tree? But is it going to be alive next year or when I move out? Right. So all of this uncertainties that you have when you're planting stuff or, you know, sometimes people plant things and they're like, OK, why am I going to plant a peach tree if it's going to take five years for it to grow? But I'm going to be gone in like a year. Right. So I think that the idea with like farming and gardening and, and, and creating plant connections is realizing that like we're doing it for next generations like it's not just for us it's kind of like our legacy so I one of the things that I'm most proud about is that I think I've planted many trees in different locations in Soco Los Angeles in Peru in Chile and now here right so like they're going to outlive me hopefully (laughs) that's my plan like so how do I create a legacy how do I I plant things that even if like you know a I don't know a a magwar plant or 
a evening primrose. Um, might die by the time I leave that place that I'm taking care of, but those seeds are going to be shared. They're going to flow with the wind. They're going to, you know, make new homes somewhere else. So I think that the idea of kind of like letting go this sense of like, oh, I'm planting this for myself or for my own benefit, but like, oh, I'm planting this and I'm doing this for like for the plants so that they keep growing, you know, so the birds keep growing. I mean, keep, you know, keep finding places to live, keep finding, uh, keep finding food, the bees. So kind of thinking like an, in a broader lens, like what it is that I'm doing, right? So like if I'm, if I'm planting a bunch of, a bunch, a bunch of plants and I'm scared of, you know, climate change or climate chaos or things just coming that I cannot control. Uh, what I do, for example, is I plant different types of plants. So like I never do monocropping. <laughs> like I don't like the idea of like just planting a whole row of corn even. Uh, in between the corn, I'm going to plant squash. I'm going to plant bee, um, beans. Like if I'm planting a bunch of like medicinal herbs, I'm going to also throw in some calendula seed. Like I plant really closely and I also plant very diverse plants. So if one of them dies because it's too cold or too hot, then the other ones are going to survive. So that's kind of how I think about planting and even farming at a at a greater scale, which I'm doing right now, which is not even that big. You know, it's still like a small farm, but it's way bigger than I've ever had before in the city. I plant a, a diverse amount of, you know, just different plants. And I'm like, whatever comes up, it's what wants to come here. Especially because it's my first time growing here. It's been a lot of learning like, oh, okay, well, I can see that this plant is not doing that well. But this plant over here, the insects are not attacking it. So next Next season, I'm going to grow more of this plant. So it's also like a learning. You're constantly learning. You know, you're constantly learning like what grows well here, what is going to seed. And to the point that next year, I won't even have to seed anything because the seed is going to be in the soil already. Right. So definitely lots of learning back and forth. But I think at the end of the day, it's like understanding that is an investment way past our lifetimes, which I think a lot of folks forget when they're doing gardening or farming. Like when somebody's spraying Roundup because they don't want to see dandelions, right? <laughs> they're not thinking like the impact that oh that's going to have. That is so infuriating. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, what? Why? Or when people just like, you know, start tilling and like doing, you know, intense farming that is just extracting and extracting and extracting from the earth, but is not giving anything back. So you just like thinking about what you're going to make in that crop you know, that season, but what about next year? What about next decade, right? So I think also just to me, also it's creating a legacy is building uh, sustainable ways of like working with plants and, and, and the soil, right? It's not just about like, I'm going to just try to get as much shit growing right now because I care about what I'm going to get right now. But it's also like, what about the next years and the next generations? I love all of this so much. I feel like it so speaks to the seven pentacles. Like, first of all, thinking about, you know, if your crop is failing, quote unquote, like whatever it is that you're doing in your life, you know, you've put in the work, you wrote the book or you, you know, started the business or, you know, you started the relationship or whatever. And if it seems to be wilting or it seems to be withering, remembering that it's also about like that you're planting seeds, that you're cultivating, that you're sowing the seeds for future generations, and that it's not just about this one small cycle. Like it's not just about this season, but all the seasons and the legacy of the seasons that you're you're affecting future generations with your work and how do you want to do that. And I also love the idea of noticing, yeah, okay, maybe, you know, this year, the magor is wilting, or maybe there is like a, a bunch of aphids who killed your 
tomato plants, but the other this other thing is really thriving and really noticing that and then using that and noticing like what wants to grow around you, what is wanting your attention, what is wanting your love and care and is is burgeoning. I, I think that's really beautiful. You know, if we all lived that way, like if we all took care and planted our seeds and our tended our gardens with a view towards future generations and we would all live in abundance and we wouldn't be in this mess. But it also got me to thinking about how when I first moved into this place, the gardeners who I do not hire, my landlord hires them, like we're spraying all this toxic pesticides around because of the dandelions. And I was like, <laughs> I ran out. I was like, please don't do that. You're what you're doing. I see you spraying this toxic pesticide, and then the next thing you do is use a leaf blower and you just blow that all up into the air. And then I breathe it, and then everyone breathes it, and it goes in the ground. And like the plant, the animals who live here eat it. And like, what are we doing? On the other hand, I felt bad because I was like, this guy doesn't care. Like, he he's just trying to make his living, right? He's not, he's not thinking about pesticides. He's just like, this is my job. I probably get paid like $15 an hour or something to do this. And now this woman is like harassing me about this. So I just feel like it does get to this idea of like, you know, the central conundrum Mm -hmm. of capitalism. But maybe me saying to my gardener, like, please don't use pesticides in that moment was an epic failure because I'm sure he still does, but maybe in the future, you know, he'll reconsider. So I feel like that kind of gets at what you're saying. Mm-hmm. I mean, I've, 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 I haven't yelled at gardeners because I know that they're not, they probably would rather be in their home, like scratching their, yeah, I mean, scratching I didn't their yell, tummy, I didn't yell, but I was like, please don't. Yeah. I wasn't <laughs> like, you're an asshole. Fuck you. Like, yeah. stop doing but I was like, ah. I know. I usually call my landlord. I would call my landlord and be like, this is happening. But it's just like, she doesn't care. It, it's just like a whole, you know, it's just messed up. Like, I think what what happened last last time that I lived in a place that um, they, were, they had gardeners in Los Angeles. This guy um, chopped down my Tulsi tree and I was crying. I came out crying. And I wasn't even screaming at him, but I was just like, okay, like, I know it's not your fault, but this… <laughs> is so sad to me because and I was just crying he was like oh my god I'm so sorry and I was just like I know it's not your fault I know this like horrible landlord who's like so fucking rich filthy rich doesn't give a fuck because she just wants this to look like a manicure garden you know and like I'm not gonna do that you know and so yeah it's just every place I've ever lived like I've planted like I, it's been a dirt patch and I move in and then I plant things and then but then the gardeners always come and chop it down like I have this one vine that is always trying to grow but it's because these gardeners are like not paid very well they're not really gardening maybe Mm -hmm. they would like to garden but they're just kind of like blowing leaves and like using a a cutter but they're not really gardening because they're not really paid to it's like it's so unfair because like I've totally cried so many times (laughs) and I'm like I I planted that from seed I tended it from like when it was a little baby and it finally was starting to thrive and then you just came with a weed whacker and now it's gone what oh my god it's so hard it's so hard 
Yeah, it's so sad. And I think that's also part of like, you know, letting things go. But I think that one's harder. When things just die or like animals eat something, I'm like, fuck this. I'm so upset. But when it's like a human that just like did it, I'm just like, oh my God, this is just, I can't. Because the system is so messed up. Yes, exactly. Well, I feel like it gets back to this card, you know, it's just like, so what do you do in that circumstance? You know, that's what this card is really asking you. Like if you plant crops and they get cut down by the gardener because the gardener is being exploited by your rich landlord or you know you plant crops and they get eaten by aphids or whatever like now what i think that (laughs) you just keep planting um there is this uh book called oh what's it i forget the name of the book i should I always quote this and I should have memorized the name, but it's basically a book that is written by this guy who travels around the world to like desert areas, like all over the world from like Asia to so-called US to Africa to Swana region. And basically like he interviews farmers living in the desert and he's talking about climate change and the ways in which like, you know, climate change are bringing on more deserts, like, there, you know, like there's not gonna be enough water for folks to be able to like grow these crops that are, you know, water intensive and so on. So he's interviewing this guy who lives, I think, in like northern Africa, and he's asking them, like, and he's talking to him, and he says something like, you know, if the end of the world happens tomorrow, I'm gonna plant a tree. Like it doesn't matter. You have to, That's you know, so <laughs> yeah. beautiful. The it farmer doesn't... said that. Yeah, the farmer said that. And I was like, yeah, I mean, I feel like that's how I feel because every day I'm like, the world can end tomorrow. How how fucked up this whole system is. Like all of those people with like atomic bombs left and right. Like we could like literally like end tomorrow. But like, what are we going to do? Like not plant trees? Like we have to keep planting things, right? Like even if we don't see like, I'm, I'm not a nihilist, but I'm also not like, I wish I was, I had more hope, but I guess I find my hope in just, keep planting you know like I know I'm gonna move out of here but I'm like okay well before I move out I'm gonna plant like over 200 trees you know what I mean like over like I'm gonna do it even if they might die or they might not make it like it's the only way to go like we can only move forward we can only keep planting I've been thinking a lot about that concept of creating refuges and how like during the ice ages historically like there have been many periods on earth where almost all life has died And then just in these small pockets, like in the vents near the volcanic, you know, spouts in the center of the ocean or like in these small valleys, like life existed and then it reemerged. And so maybe the real message of this card is like create refuges for life in your own life, in your own garden, like that it doesn't necessarily matter what is happening right now, but that you are doing the work of creating a refuge for life to keep existing and that the point of it is to do that. And that is how you carry on your ancestral knowledge. And that is how you carry on the magic. Mm -hmm. Um, I had a few last questions for you. So one of them was, who are your favorite plant teachers right now? Like which plants are you really loving working with right now? I think I'm going to say junipers. Um, I feel like I'm, they, I live in a yeah, place. Yeah, because in New Mexico, yeah, it's all, so all juniper all the time. Right? Oh my God. <laughs> it's been interesting. Like I, it's just, I have such a huge place in my heart for native California plants because I work with them for so long. 
because whenever I lived in Los Angeles, like I'm like, okay, I'm going to plant native California plants. That was my thing. Um, And then here it's like learning like a huge, I mean, there's some plants that cross pollinate, uh, you know, but because we're still in the Southwest, but there's still some plants that don't. So I think that uh, when I first came here and it was like October, I was, it was such a huge shock because I'm like, oh my God, where's my garden? Like I got so used to just walking out of my house and having all of the herbs I need, right? Which I have now because it's the spring and I already planted everything. But, but the first, you know, the, the trees that were around here were junipers. So I was just like, looking at them and I haven't really made much medicine with them yet. I think I'm still in the process of just like looking at them and just being next to them and just, um, you know, slowly I'm going to start making medicine when I feel like it's a good time. But I think that junipers definitely are starting to feel more like a, like a connection, just like plants that I really want to get to know. I'm growing a lot of plants during, during this season, but I think I would say that always, and this is like a plant that I'm always just like, I have, has such a huge part in my heart is the coca leaf and that's just like such an important plant for like people from from Peru from the Andean region and I feel like I'm always like always thinking about the coca leaf like (laughs) all the time that's just like I feel like a lifelong like a lifelong teacher plant friend (laughs) nice yeah I mean I don't know the coca leaf very well but the juniper I just admire so much because it like New Mexico landscape is not what I would necessarily think of as like deeply hospitable, right? Like there's like coal in the ground, there's oil in the ground, there's silver in the ground, there's not necessarily that much water. It gets really cold, it gets really hot. And Juniper's like, I can deal with this. I love it here. I'm going to be all over the place. And it has like this really powerful smell and medicine and it's so fragrant and it's so hearty. I feel like it's a real badass. And it stays green even in the snow. That is just so it's so beautiful when it's snowing and you look out and it's like I live in this really interesting kind of like liminal space between like the beginning of the juniper pine forest and the end of the juniper pine forest. So I have some junipers around me. And uh, when it's snowing and you just look at all of, you know, just look up the mountain and it's just like green and white because <laughs> it's like they, they're still, Isn't you know, they're amazing. evergreens. So I'm always just like, wow, the U.S. are fucking Love amazing. That. Okay, so last question. Do you have any rituals related to growing things that you would feel comfortable sharing with our listeners? Whenever we do a card, we like to have like a ritual you could do for if this situation was coming up in your life. Mm-hmm. What Do you have any like ritual or ceremony that you like to do with plants? I think that <laughs> the first thing that came to my head was like mushrooms. I think that this is like a very, I get, it's a ritual for me, but I don't know if other people will see it as a ritual. I'm really into fungi and I love growing my plants and my seeds uh, with ectomycorrhizae and endomycorrhizae, which are basically like types of fungi that create relationship with the with the roots of plants. Um, so they're kind of like very, very old dinosaur type of like uh, fungi. So I think for me, like it's very ritualistic to whenever I'm growing something, when I start, you know, like this farm, for example, like there is mushrooms all over. Like I use like uh, spent mushroom blocks as molds, but I also use like the the powder mycorrhizae and endomycorrhizae to just pour next to the plants that I'm growing. So to me, it's like putting down the plants, putting down the ceilings, putting down the trees, putting down the 
the corn, but also like, you know, adding a little bit of that um, mycorrhizae just to like remember that, you know, we're all connected and there is like a web of life um, and that mm. we support each other. Because at the end of the day, like a lot of this uh, fungi that is working in the roots of plants, like they help distribute nutrients, they help distribute water. So like they're basically like the web of life and the web of life is mutual aid. (laughs) It's like, it is about like distribution and it's about like sharing and it's about like, oh, you know, like, so to me, it's like very much like adding that into my plans. But I think in my mind, whenever I'm doing it, I'm like, okay, we're doing this. And like this really tiny, you know, micro level, but it's also happening in like the bigger scale of of things and like the ways that we as humans need to like relearn how to like, you know, be with each other and be with plants too. That's so beautiful. I love the idea of using these little spores of mushrooms, sprinkling them around essentially to invoke mind or imagination or intelligence into the land itself by by literally spreading mind, which I guess mushrooms are since they create these interwoven networks of intelligence and mm-hmm. connection. That's so beautiful. Yeah, I love them. <laughs> well, so... This has been amazing. Thank oh my you. gosh, I could listen to you talk about plants all day. Um, and I love all of the things that you're doing. So can you tell us how we can reach you so that our listeners out there can can come um, taste your feast of intelligence and wisdom as well? Of course. Thank you. Um, many ways. So I recently changed my name from La Loba Loca to Flora Bacha. So there's a bunch of articles that folks can read that I've written, that people have written about me, uh, especially around Abuelita knowledge, but it's all going to be under La Loba Loca, which I don't know. Hopefully people know a little bit of Spanish. That's we'll put it in the to... show notes as well. Okay, <laughs> La Loba Loca, yeah. the crazy wolf. Yeah, the, the crazy, crazy wolf, wolf right? <laughs> but, but so is that at your Instagram or where should they go? Yeah, so um, I, w- I was just mentioning because I'm still trying to figure out how the shift is going to look like because I'm slowly shifting my domains into the, <laughs> into my new name. Uh, but my Instagram is yeah. at flora, F-L-O-R-A dot Pacha, P-A-C-H-A. Flora Pacha. We got you. <laughs> with, a, with a period in the middle. I'll be doing Flora and, and Pacha. And then uh, I have a website, still not fully updated, but um, you can see some of the offerings I have and you can book me for workshops, for community events or for universities, uh, florapacha.com. There's no period in the middle. Um, and I have a lot of content that I create in my Patreon. So I always tell folks that, you know, when I learn more about anything and everything that I talk about, uh, Patreon is like the best place. Um, Patreon.com slash Florapacha without any period in the middle. And I also have a podcast and I talk in the podcast about everything. Uh, I co-founded it with my boo, but now I'm doing it by myself. But it's also like a great way to, you know, just hear me talk more about all of these things. Uh, and it's called Wild Weeds Podcast. It's an Instagram at Wild Weeds Podcast. And I have a bunch of online offerings, online workshops. So just follow me on Instagram. And then in the link in my bio, you can find, you know, where to where to get my uh, my online class recordings and all of the stuff that I do. Yay. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for being with us. Thank you. Thanks 
thanks so much for tuning in this week. We hope you loved Flora Pacha as much as we do. Next week, join us as we go in deep about the spirits of place with one of our favorite guests, Chiron Armand. We'll be talking about how to connect with the elemental beings of your area and the life-changing transformations that can bring about. Don't want to miss that. Meanwhile, don't forget to sign up for our Ace of Pentacles Abundance Magic Workshop. We know you're going to love it. And it's 20% off regular price for just one more week. So check it out. The link's in the show notes. And we'll see you on the other side. This podcast is made possible by listeners like you. Subscribers to our Weird Circle at the Jupiter level get workshops, community, bonus content, and magical support throughout the year. We really do hope that you join us. In the meantime, if you love our content and want to keep us on the air, please do take a moment to give us five stars or leave us a sweet review on iTunes or share your favorite moments from the podcast on social media. Truly, all of it makes a huge difference to us. You can tag me at Oracle Valet or at Between the Worlds Podcast. Not only does your support help keep us on the air, it helps baby witches who really need this content know how to find their way to us between the worlds. So thank you for being here and thank you for helping other people find their way here as well. This podcast is hosted by Amanda Yates Garcia and produced by Carolyn Pennypacker Ricks. Our icon was created by Maria Minnis, aka Tiny Parsnip, and our graphic design is by Leah Hayes. Thanks for flying with us.